anytime you want to start. Yeah. So uh, welcome to the podcast. We have Ed Dago, city councilman from Palm Springs, Florida. Palm Coast, Palm Florida. Coast. Yeah, no, Palm Springs, California. Um, I'm a California boy. I apologize. I see that. Palm Coast, Florida. And um, yeah, he's joining the podcast. Uh, great to have you, Ed. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, appreciate that as well. So uh, I guess I'll dive right into it. You used to work for CBS? I worked for three major television networks, uh, NBC, CBS, and then CNN. And which one was your favorite? <laughs> well, looking back, um, actually none of them. Uh, I walked out of CNN on uh, November 1st, 2016, um, walked away from a nice paycheck, walked away from uh, nice benefits, retired early, basically, in total disgust, because I could no longer tell you guys the truth about what happened on any single given day. Yeah, 2016, that was the big election year. I've actually, everybody says 2020 was the big effed up year, but I really think it was 2016. That was the year that there were killer clowns hiding everywhere. Uh, of course, the election of a just it was it was a weird year it was a very Definitely. weird year well it was it was the election that trump became president yes of course and uh, yes so despite all of the fake polls that were out there including cnn's um or did you won. sign any ndas with uh cnn or are you allowed to talk about that election i can talk about anything i want this is the united states of america and uh, I signed no agreements with CNN or anyone else. I simply picked up my stuff and went out to the parking lot, went home to never come back again. That's perfect. Well, I I'm just curious, what did they tell you you couldn't report? What were like, so information would come in and then they would obviously censor you in some capacity? Well, in, in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, what you don't say is as much censorship as what you report as being real and not being real. For instance, you may remember in the 2016 uh, election, building up to election day, Donald Trump was holding four to five rallies a day, six to seven days a week. Hillary was doing maybe two or three rallies a week. When you saw the rallies on TV, what you basically saw was that tight shot of each candidate with a few people behind them in the background. At CNN, they never showed you the 15,000 people at each one of those rallies. At Hillary's rally, they never showed you the fact that there was only 200 people at those rallies. That to me is a form of fake news. You need to see everything in order to make a decision as to what's happening. And uh, that, was a, that was just one of many, many, many media tricks to basically censor the news to keep you from seeing the truth. So, so how did you get involved or how did you get the position at CNN in the first place? What was that? Uh, well, I, I, after college, I went into the United States Navy. I was part of Navy public affairs, combat camera. After the United States Navy, I got hired in Washington, DC, uh, freelancing for the TV show entertainment tonight when it first came on the air. I did that for a short period of time, and then I got hired at NBC Nightly News in the Washington Bureau. And at the time, NBC was doing co-anchors, Roger Mudd and Tom Brokaw. 
Mud was in DC, Brokaw was in New York. So I worked in DC on NBC Nightly News. Uh, about a year later, CBS offered me a job in their Washington bureau. I went to the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. I was also the editor of Face the Nation with Leslie Stahl and then Bob Schieffer. Um, so in 2008, uh, I took a buyout from CBS and I had been there for 20 something years, 25 years. They offered me a buyout, a corporate buyout. I took it, I left. And the next thing I know, the phone's ringing and CNN is offering me a job. So we moved to Atlanta and I took that job. I had no idea how CNN operated, but it didn't take long to figure out that there was a lot of left-wing bias at CNN. And my feeling about journalism, while I may be a conservative Republican, my feeling is that reporters need to tell you all the facts. They need to report all sides of the story. The job is not to influence how you think. The job is to give you all the information and let you make a decision for yourself. And that's not what's happening today. As somebody who's just speculating with no information, and I, I guess you could say a victim of the fake news media, I mean, it's quick for me to assume that they're in somebody's pocket, that it's like somebody is paying the bill to make CNN skew the news a certain way. Like, is that is that the case? Is that is that basically... I, I, no one, I don't think anyone is paying CNN to slant the news or paying MSNBC or, or, or paying Fox to do it in another direction. I think what's happening is what I discovered in my, all my years in the media, when I first showed up, most of, I would say 70% of the people I, I was working with, they, they were liberals. They were Democrats. They were, they were liberals. Um, but back in that day, back when I first began, despite the fact that they might be liberals and I might be conservatives, we all made an effort to keep our personal feelings out of our reporting. Over the years, that changed. Liberals became more emboldened. They decided they were not just reporting the news, but they were now involved in leading the country in the direction they wanted it to go. And that's what you're seeing at CNN. There's a lot of liberals that work there. There's a lot of liberals still at CBS and NBC and MSNBC, or as I like to call it, MSLSD. I mean, they're ultra liberals and, and they want to push an agenda on the public uh, through their reporting. And to me, that's not journalism. Again, journalism is telling you what happened, giving you all the facts. You make up your own mind. Well, that's a good way to uh, segue into what's going on with the uh, with the Trump raids right now when they just took his, uh, they raided his Mar-a-Lago home. Because if you watch it on CNN, then it's going to be Republicans are awfully quiet while this is going on. But if you watch the Fox News headline, it's something to the tune of, uh, Democrats rejoice as their enemy gets, you know, uh, caught or whatever, whatever language they like to use. It's all buzzwords. Like there's no, they're trying to get like some sort of sensation out of you. So isn't it kind of like, I mean, who owns CNN? Do you know? Like, is there like actually like a parent? Yeah, well, CNN is, is owned by uh, Warner, 
Time Warner, um, Warner Brothers, but they have just been bought out by the Discovery Channel. Their parent company used to be AT&T. Um, that was now sold over to the Discovery Channel. It's not the CNN that Ted Turner created many, many, many years ago. I mean, it has gone through various corporate changes from AOL to Time Warner, AT&T, now Discovery. And keep in mind, you, you bring up a very good point. Part of news, obviously, is you want to get viewers. You want to get clicks on your website. Um, so you, you do sensationalize things. That gets people's attention. Uh, no question about it. So the, I, guess, I guess my question is that, as you were saying, as liberals are pushing an agenda, Fox News also has to push an agenda, and you're just sick of journalism overall? Is that sort of... Part, uh, it, it's getting harder and harder to know what the truth is. Uh, I still find Fox a bit more on the fair and balanced side than I do the other networks. Um, let's face it. You know, we, we, we've gone through a period of time where we've had a president impeached twice over virtually nothing. Uh, something we've never seen before. Um, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, uh, unprecedented to say the least. Every president has, has, has left office with boxes of documents that their staff have thrown together. It's not like Donald Trump sat in the Oval Office and said, give me this document and give me that. You know, you have staff pack it up. It's a transition period. And then the National Archives gets involved and they negotiate. What does this president get to keep for his presidential library? What goes into the National Archives? It's always been a negotiation. What they did to Trump was nothing more than a left-wing smear job. They're afraid of this guy. They know he's going to run in 2024, and they know he's going to win this time because people are outraged. People are upset. Biden has driven this economy into the ground. The price of gas is through the ceiling, food shortages, uh, the price of everything um, that these people have caused in a short period of time. I mean, my God, look, look, we're in a recession We've got inflation that's uncontrollable at this point. Um, people are upset, and they're going to be out and vote, and I don't care how much these Democrats try to cheat this time. There's going to be too many of us. They learned that lesson in Virginia in the last governor's race. Liz Cheney learned that lesson last night. Well, isn't there an, uh, isn't there an amount of the raid on Mar-a-Lago being a measure to stop Trump from running in 2024? Isn't that kind of what it is? Oh, I think that's exactly what it is. And, you know, I was, I was down in Mar-a-Lago uh, this past weekend, coming back from Hollywood, Florida, driving north, and we, we decided, let's go stop by Mar-a-Lago. And I was able to stand out in front of Mar-a-Lago and shoot a video for Facebook and then go down and meet some of the Trump supporters that were there. And they're there every day showing their support for President Trump. So that was a good thing to say. So what, what brought you to Florida? Just curious. Well, uh, it's interesting. When I, I when I walked out of CNN, I had just finished building a, a beach house in North Carolina, in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's a sandbar that's 40 miles off the coast. It's very isolated. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a wonderful place to get away. And I discovered after a year and a half, 
while I love the beach and I love, I love the fact that I was a bit isolated and I could chill out, I got very bored. <laughs> so I literally, literally read a, um, an article on 10 best places to retire to. And Palm Coast was on the top of the list. So I said to myself, I'm sure some, you know, I'm sure some 17-year-old girl who's still in college wrote this as a freelancer, but that's okay. I'm going to check it out. So I told my wife, I said, tomorrow I'm getting in the car at 6 a.m. and I'm driving to Palm Coast. That was a 12-hour drive. I got here. I fell in love with the place. I fell in love with the community, the beach, everything. Found a house, put a house under contract, came back home. I said, let's sell the beach house. We sold that in a week. And we moved to Palm Coast. Ah, and within your boredom, you ended up running for city council. How did that come about? I literally, I literally got here and I said, now I got to find something to do. Uh, while I was in the media, I, I couldn't, I couldn't practice politics. I kept my political views to myself. Um, I kept them out of my reporting, but realizing that I now could do whatever I wanted to do, I said, I need to run for office. Did I just lose you guys? Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I decided to run for office. So I literally, I hadn't been here for more than six months. And I started, I picked the office I wanted to run for. It was a year and a half out, the election. And I said, I've got to get my name known. I've got to make sure people know who I am. How do I do that? The first thing I did was I started knocking on doors. I knocked on thousands and thousands and thousands of doors. Um, then I started doing the advertising, the Facebook booths, the signs, car magnets, uh, started making appearances, holding fundraisers, um, you know, using the media, which I, you know, I do know how to use the media. Uh, I use those skills. Um, and, uh, but probably the best thing I did was I made a TV commercial. And I, I am absolutely opposed to tax increases. Um, I campaigned on never voting to raise taxes and government needs to look at their budgets and tighten their belts, especially in the situation we're in today. So I made a commercial doing a tax increase, antifreeze, blindfolded taste test. And it was very simply me blindfolded and I had a glass of tax increase in front of me and I had a glass of antifreeze in front of me. And so now it wasn't really antifreeze and don't try this at home kids, but the tax increase was democratic blue in color. It's like Gatorade and the antifreeze was Gatorade green color. So I did this taste test blindfolded. I took a sip of the antifreeze and I said, mm, that tastes pretty good. Then I took a taste of the uh, tax increase and I spit it out right into the camera's lens. And then I came on camera and said, I'd rather drink antifreeze and vote to raise your taxes. And um, that was probably the smartest thing I did because it got people's attention. It became one of those water cooler sort of moments where people said, hey, you see the crazy guy on the screen, you know, drinking antifreeze? That got me a lot of attention. I can tell you uh, in the last two years I've been in office, I have never voted for a tax increase. I actually managed to single-handedly kill one tax increase. Um, and I will not be voting for any tax increases this year during our budget season. I mean, first off, that's that's hilarious. Uh, interesting thought there. And so, uh, actually, I have a lot there. Um, 
Knocking on thousands of doors sounds like it took a lot of time. I started a year and a half out, um, and I literally printed up my material, and I went and I got a list. What you can do, you don't just knock on everyone's door, because you know that like left-wing liberal Democrats are not going to vote for a Trump-supporting conservative Republican. So, so what you do is you get a list of voters, and you get it from the supervisor of elections, and you get a list of what we call super voters. Super voters are those voters that vote in every election. They vote in all the primaries and all the general elections. So that's where you focus your door knocking on. So literally, you've got to map it out every night. Uh, they now have apps you can put on your phone that will do all that work for you. But when I did it, that app didn't exist. So I literally would have to take that list, go through Google Maps, look at the streets. I started from my street and worked out around my street. And literally in the course of a year and a half, and I had to, I had to stop during part of COVID. And, and I would have done a lot more doors. I did over 10,000 doors. I wanted, to, I wanted to do 15 to 20, but I had to stop during COVID. But a month before the general election, people were starting to lighten up. So I went back and spent an extra month and I would stand six feet back from the door. And, it, and again, I'm knocking on Republican doors and I'm knocking on those doors of the voters that, that come out and vote. And usually the first question you would get was what party you, do you belong to? Well, the moment they saw my Trump button, on my, which I always wore on my shirt, that question was already answered. You, so, I mean, I understand one really important facet of the, uh, of the Republican Party. I, I do stand on, and I completely understand the conservative view of the government's always trying to keep you from your money. There's always one new thing to take your money away from you. So I, I, I definitely empathize with that. Um, I think, uh, do you think that Trump was like the best representative for the Republican Party, though, that we could have come up with? He clearly crushed all of his opponents in the primary. And that's what primaries are for. So Republican voter, voters clearly thought Donald Trump was the man we needed at the time. And, and I absolutely agree with that. 100%. Um, I haven't seen a president like this since Ronald Reagan. And I spent two years at the Reagan White House when I worked in Washington, D.C. And um, Donald Trump did an amazing job. Number one, he kept every one of his promises. He began building that wall. We've got to take our country back. We can't have open borders. We have to have borders. Uh, I see the Biden administration now has gone back to building that wall. Well, gee, it took him almost two years to figure that out. Uh, he immediately, you know, began working on our energy supplies in this country. And the next thing you know, we're not energy dependent on the Middle East. We're producing enough of our own energy to where we're selling it. Biden came in and put a stop to that, unfortunately. Um, Donald Trump took a really bad economy and he improved it. And if it wasn't for COVID, um, that economy would have kept, kept going without a question of a doubt. Lowest unemployment in the history of this country, not only for just, not only for white people, you know, not for the majority, but for every minority. It was a huge increase in, in unemployment numbers that went down, you know, where, where folks were working, folks were doing good. Look at the price of gasoline under Donald Trump. You know, I'll take a mean tweet 
in favor of $2 gasoline any day of the week. Gasoline now, I don't know where you guys are, but it's still at $4.50 where I'm at, $4.60. Uh, went all the way up to over $5 a gallon. This hurts people. It hurts working people. It hurts families. The price of food now, I mean, it's through the roof. We've had huge increases. You know, uh, part of that is due because of the conflict in the Ukraine with Russia, because Russia and the Ukraine produce almost 30% of the fertilizers that, that's made in the world. A lot of people don't know that. If Donald Trump had been president, I can tell you, Vladimir Putin would not have rolled across that border into Ukraine. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's the whole, like, speculation that Donald Trump was in Russia's pocket because he was what was stopping them from invading. Once he gets out of the way... Yeah, yeah, Russia gate, you know. Right. Um, I think think we know how phony and fake that was at this point in time. I mean, I'm still kind of expecting Biden to die in office at this point, just of how old he is. I, I did not vote for him. Uh, I almost think he's kind of half dead. You know, they, they prop him up in a chair. He shakes hands with people that aren't standing next to him. I guess so they give him an ice cream cone. He's a little happy for the rest of the day. Um, unfortunately, if Biden was gone, we'd have Kamala Harris. But I mean, I think they're both just as bad. I think the, I think the advisors that Biden have, they're running the show. No question about it. I mean, you know, Sleepy Joe is just taking a lot of naps, probably, and spending weekends, uh, you know, his vacation home in Delaware. Yeah, I just, I'm, I've also heard Trump, the Trump era, be referred to as Reagan 2.0. So I, I yeah, yeah, you're you're among friends there. Um, I'm not a Trump hater by any means, but I'm not sure if he was the best representative for. The actual Republican Party, I think he was kind of on his own thing. Um, For you, Ed, I mean, of course, yeah, he was uh, maybe like the best one to beat out all the other candidates in the primary. But outside of, I guess, his ability to beat out the other candidates who were in the Republican primary, do you think that, like, there's a better candidate who either did not run or who, you know, got beaten, who got beat by Trump in the primary? Um, At least that was in, like, 2016. But maybe you also think in 2024... Maybe there's somebody better. Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, are you asking if there's somebody better now? Uh, maybe like, yeah, as I say for the 2024 election, do you think that there's somebody who might be better? Not as far as like chance of winning the primary, because I guess we can establish that Trump would be the best for the Republican primary, but more like who would actually be a better president, arguably? I don't think there's anyone who will be a better president than Donald Trump this next time around. Now, I do think our great governor, Ron DeSantis, will make a great president after Donald Trump. And I fully support our governor, Ron DeSantis. He's done an amazing job here in Florida. I I dipped out in 2017 at the tail end of the Rick Scott years, and I felt like that man was governor for way too long. How's DeSantis doing? I have, like I said... We, We love Governor DeSantis here in Florida. I can tell you that. You know, we he kept this state running during COVID. We didn't over panic like they did in New York and Chicago and California. Um, you know, we kept our economy going strong. Uh, Governor DeSantis is doing amazing stuff with our school situations here. Um, this guy's a great guy. And again, we don't want to lose him. We don't want him to run for vice president with Trump because we need DeSantis here you know, for a couple more years. He's managed to cut our budget. 
You know, we don't have any state income tax here in Florida, and we're proud of that. He's also made this, I mean, we refer to ourselves now as the free state of Florida because we have all those rights that they don't have in a lot of those liberal states. And we're gonna keep it that way. Yeah, that is the first time I've heard of it, but it's it's a very accurate description for sure. I mean, Florida politics is quite interesting. That's definitely a big job you took on. Uh, are you planning to go any further than city council with it? Yes, I am. I will be running for another office in two years, uh, but I'm not ready to announce what direction I'm gonna be going in. But yes, I will be running for another office. Oh, that is that is fantastic. And I'm, I'm very heavily involved in a congressional campaign right now, um, a district outside of Orlando. It's the ninth congressional district. And I have a friend who is running for Congress. He's a first time politician. He never had political aspirations before, but he decided it was time to step up. And we took him from nobody to basically, we're going to win the Republican primary, no question about it in my mind. We took him from $0 to raising almost $400,000 uh, for the campaign, far out, out, you know, far beating any of his opponents. We picked up the endorsement of Donald Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, endorsed our candidate. And we just got two weeks ago, um, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz endorsed our candidate. So um, I've been heavily involved in that campaign and uh, we're gonna flip, this is one of the five seats that we need to flip to take back the House of Representatives. We're gonna flip a lot more seats than five, but this will be one of, one of those seats that we're gonna flip to take back our house, take back America. I'll put in a cheap plug for your audience. If you really want to help elect a conservative Republican that will help you take back your government, visit visit scottymoreforcongress.com. That's scottymoreforcongress.com. That's Scotty with a Y. And learn all about Scotty. And if you feel so inclined, please check on that donation tab. Because I'll tell you guys, a lot of folks don't realize this. It takes a lot of money to run a political campaign. Yes, it does. Um, even a local campaign, to give you some idea, you probably have been getting stuff in the mail from candidates, mailers, right? And you see them during election season, people, you know, their picture and they tell you their, their talking points. And those mailers just in my city of Palm Coast, just mailing the Republican super voters, they cost $7,000 a piece oh. to do a mailing. Oh, wow. Yeah, you spend a lot of money on, on a campaign. And, you know, I put a lot of my own money into my campaign. But I had help from donors, too. So if you f folks out there listening, if you really want to get involved and you really like a candidate, and you believe in that candidate, that candidate probably needs your help. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, most of it is all independently funded and run until uh, until you make the office. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's a struggle uh, and it's 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 a lot to take on. And I was curious as far as. As when you've gotten your role on Palm Coast and since you've been in politics, what kind of opposition have you like faced as far as day to day voting on laws and things like that? Because, or like you said, you've never voted on tax increases. Florida can be a like it's a very mixed bag of a state. Like, yeah, there are staunch Republicans, but 
places like I mean the main cities, you know, like Tampa, Orlando, or Miami, they're they're more liberal once, especially Orlando. Well, fortunately, in Florida, uh, we've now flipped the voter registration to where there are now more registered Republicans than Democrats in this state. And that's been done in the last two years. So we now actually have a majority, which is good. And we don't want to mess up and we don't want to lose it. So there are a lot of different issues that do come up. Part of those issues are always development is always a big issue because time doesn't stand still. And developers in Florida, landowners in Florida, all across the United States, they have rights. They have property rights and they invest in a piece of property, then they want to build on it. So sometimes you get pushback from the community when the community says, hey, we're, we're getting too big. You know, our roads can't handle this. Our schools can't handle this. We got to slow down this growth. But yet we want to create more jobs. Well, how do you create more jobs? You have growth. So you run into a lot of those issues uh, statewide and on a local level. And, and I think in Florida, you know, we've grown. Um, I was in Miami uh, this past weekend. I haven't been in Miami in 10 years. Miami has like boomed. It's like, it's huge. It's, it's so big now. And the traffic is so heavy uh, and the congestion is so bad. And I'm looking at Miami thinking, this is a bit overdone. Um, it makes it hard to live in a place, even vacation in a place like that. So growth issues become a big deal. Education becomes a big deal. Uh, you're always getting pushed on when you're a politician. You cannot make everyone happy. And you have to learn that right away. Um, you want to make most of your constituents happy, but you also want to do what's right. And you're also going to, you're going to find that no matter what you do, you're going to be beaten up in the media, especially the liberal media. And they go after me all the time. So what I do is uh, they'll, they'll write, like my better half, Renee, she will come to me and say, they wrote this terrible story about you. And I say, okay, did they spell my name right? And she'll go, yeah, they spelled your name right. I said, they use a good picture. She goes, yeah, that's a good picture. I'll say, that's all I need to know because I can't make them happy. So I guess you, you brought up the morality as like of doing what's right. Where does, what, what tells you what's right as far as your responsibilities and when you make a decision, where, where do you get your moral compass from? Just, just curious, well, kind of like an abstract question. Well, it is abstract, but number one, you got to follow the law. You need to learn the law on certain things. All right. That's the first thing. Number two, you have your own conscience. You have your own experiences in life. You have your own beliefs. You know, mine are very conservative values. I know what's right, speaking from, from that perspective. At least that's what I believe is right. And school system, uh, school, school board things and, and, and education, a lot of that falls into. We had, we had an incident oh, a month or so ago here um, where one of our school board members uh, discovered a book and a parent had brought the attention of, of this really dirty book that was in the school board library. It was borderline pornography. And she spoke out against it. And she said, this is the kind of stuff we do not need, you know, for, for, for grammar school kids to be reading, you know, for six, seven, eight-year-old kids to be reading. She managed, against much pressure from liberal Democrats and the liberal media, she managed to get those books yanked out of our library. So she made a decision based on her morality and her beliefs, and I, and I support it. I definitely, I definitely see what you're saying. Does that, does the subject, ah, man, this is, 
another abstract question, but does the subjectivity sure. of what's right conflict with the needs of the people as a whole? Like, yes, you can't make everyone happy, and that is, like, unfortunate but true. But as far as what you think is right may not be what's best for the group, so do you have to make compromises when you come to making decisions a lot? Does that ever come well, up? You find the compromises come, like, I'm one of five members of our council. So there are five votes. It takes three votes to get something passed. So sometimes you have to do a little horse trading. You have to give a little bit. They have to give a little bit. You know, 80% of something is better than 100% of nothing. So sometimes you have to approach things like, okay, I'm not going to be able to completely stop this, but let me see if I can make it better. You got to work, you know, with the other elected officials that you're seated next to. And sometimes that's not always easy, but it's the only way to get something done. Definitely. I, I definitely see what you're saying. Well, Jay, do you have any any pressing issue questions? Looking forward to the 2024 election and seeing how that all pans out. I'm looking forward to it too, but we need to get past this election first and we need to get past November. And I think this is going to be a big change in the direction of this country uh, once we take back Congress and we take back, you know, take back the House and the Senate. It's going to send a message to those folks in power that 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 what you're doing is not making us happy. And um, we're we're no longer going to be quiet, we're not going to be silent. We're taking our country back. Uh, we're America first. And I, I think that's where we're headed again. Definitely. Yeah, Jay here's actually in a very interesting predicament right now. He's lived in the States since he was eight years old. Uh, he's now at the end of his, he, he went to college here. He finished his student visa. And then he's finished mm -hmm. his work-sponsored visa and is now being uh, displaced to uh, Canada which is a country he's never been to, but that's where he's allowed to continue to work. And it seems- Where is he, where, where, where are you, where is he from? Where are you from, Jay? Uh, India, originally. Uh, I was born. So have you not applied for citizenship or a green card or- So with my mom, she did, but, um, so she was a professor actually at a college in Florida. And mm -hmm. the issue is that the, there's basically a line for green cards and it's based on your nationality which is mm -hmm. across Indian. And the green card line for Indians is like the longest by far. So I think I had a friend who was like from Australia who got their green card within one or two years. The line for India can like stretch 15 to 20 years. So she ended up moving back to India with my dad. And then uh, basically my status basically, you know, got reset when she left uh, to like, as, so yes, she would have just come to the U.S. You came to this country legally. Yes, legally, actually. So it's got to really annoy you that people are just sneaking across our borders and uh, they're giving plane tickets and uh, pockets full of cash and, and uh, allowed just to stay here yes. coming in the wrong way. Yet someone like you, you come here the right way and, 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 and you're, you're mistreated because of it. Yeah, uh, one weird clause that we did find is for the DREAM Act, which, you know, I guess covers children who came here um, at, at a young age with their parents. Um, I actually qualify for everything on the DREAM Act, except that I came here legally as opposed to illegal. Right. And the illegal 
arrival in the U.S. is is definitely a qualification for being able to stay underneath the Dream Act. So, yeah, something like that is very frustrating. When if I had only come illegally, I would now be able to stay, which is kind of silly. That is just absolutely one of the main things that's wrong with this country. Our immigration policy is turned upside down. Uh, we are letting anyone cross the border in Mexico. We don't know who they are. We don't know their background. We don't know if they're drug dealers. We don't know if they're terrorists. Um, they don't bring many skills to the table. And yet we have someone like you who came here legally, got an education, ready to contribute to our country and, and, and make us better. And they're telling you to go to Canada. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it, it is kind of a silly situation. Yeah, he's often said 17 years in this country. He's been here for 17 years. Yes, yeah, that is true. He he doesn't even, you barely speak Hindi. You, you pretty much only no, speak. I, I'm way better at English than any of you. He speak, he's pretty much English. He speaks English. It's crazy. And now he's going to have to learn to speak Canadian. Yeah. And yeah, Canadian. Yeah. And also, they speak a lot of French in Canada, too. Uh, half the country's English, half is French with their languages. I have heard that. Yeah, Jay loves the French. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think you need to find a girl and get married so you can stay here. Uh, that's what everybody kept telling me. Uh, and I was like, A, I guess that would be possible, but also I just felt it just seemed kind of silly to me that I had to, like, I don't want to say involuntarily get married, but get married at an age. I feel like I'm too young to get married. Yeah, you don't want to marry. You don't want to marry the wrong person. That would be a big mistake. I, I mean, you want to marry a person for the right reasons. Uh, exactly. It just felt dumb that I had to like try to go marry somebody to stay in the U.S. It's like, well, you know. So if if you go to Canada, do you get a citizenship? Are you able to get a green card in Canada? Become a citizen, a Canadian citizen? Yeah, yeah. It's actually uh, much much easier. You can become a permanent resident within like. 12 months or something, which I've been waiting 17 years plus to get that from, you know, permanent resident of the U.S. So, yeah, what you can do in 17 years in the U.S., I guess you can do it like 12 months in Canada. So. so if you become a Canadian, is it easier to come back to this country and get a green card? Yeah, uh, not to get a green card, because, again, to get a green card is actually based on your nationality, which I think is kind of screwed up because, like, for somebody like me, no matter where I go, which country I live in, yada, yada, et cetera, I will always have like the longest line of green card. It's like, I can't escape my Indianness. Indians always at the back of the line. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like, no matter what I do, can't escape that. So that is the unfortunate situation. But it's much easier to like, I believe Canada has a visa where like you can have a Canadian citizenship and easily come into the US on a program. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of what I'll be pursuing. Well, Canada is a nice country. I, I went to college in Buffalo, so I used to go across the border up into Toronto a lot of times. They're very nice people. It's just too cold. I mean, it's just really cold up there. The lake effect, advisory snow and all that. Yeah, that's exactly where they're sending him to, Toronto. So it's great. <sighs> well, it's a beautiful city. And they're very nice people, and I'm sure you'll do well there. But it's like we're losing somebody who's talented while we're letting in illegal aliens, and we don't know anything about them. And this is what's wrong with this administration and this failed immigration policy. And, and I'm sorry, 
that you have to be a victim of it. It's not right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I can't disagree with you on that one. It does feel like uh, that. If I could issue you a Palm Coast City green card and citizenship, I want you to know I would do it in a second. Oh, thank you, Ed. M- much appreciated. If if you ever get the power uh, to do such a thing, uh, definitely feel free to contact me. Well, I, I'll tell you what I will do. When my, when my candidate, my friend, gets elected to Congress, this is an issue I am going to discuss with him, and we'll see if he can make some headway on it, because we have to reform immigration. And, and your story is a, a really good example of why we need to reform it. Jay is a very, uh, he works for a financial tech company. I shan't name it, but it is a pretty, uh, you would know the name if you knew the company he worked for. It's, it's pretty big. I hope they have a job for you in Canada. Oh, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's the whole reason I'm yeah. moving up there. But see, they're, they're fucking him because the cost of a living adjustment is like, what, 30% decrease 30%, in your salary? Yeah. And he was living in San Francisco going to Toronto, which price-wise isn't that good. It's not a big difference. No. So wow. 30% decrease in salary is going to affect his lifestyle yeah, a lot. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, pretty no. That's a shame. It's not right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. If, if your friend gets to Congress, just have them uh, remove <laughs> that uh, illegal immigrants part from the DREAM Act and make it all immigrants. I think uh, even legally, they should have a chance. Yeah, or just you. You know, look you Yeah, up. just yeah. See, just put my name there. Yeah, you, you, know? you can be a poster child for the immigration. Uh, you know, it's another example. You, you, you see it all the time, like in New York City. You know, they'll arrest somebody 30 times for shoplifting or striking somebody or committing some crime, and then they let the criminal out on the street. But yet, you know, the people that follow the law and stuff, we, it seems to be us that they're going after, not the criminals, not the illegals. It's, it's upside down. It's, it's almost like I, at times I feel like I entered a an evil parallel universe or something, you know, and just got transported to this other universe or, or the twilight zone or something with some of the nonsense that we're seeing. Yeah. And it's just, it's out of hand for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and again, I think not only Republicans are seeing this, but voters that are independent voters are looking at what's going on saying something's not right here. We've got to yeah. fix it. I mean, there's, there's so many little things I mean, yeah, I have my own opinions on a lot of things, but until I find until I find people who are actually going to change it, local elections are where I uh, I tend to make my mark. I live, we're currently in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, so our mm-hmm. mayor is the Demon Kane from WWE fame. Uh, it's it's great. He's he's a he's a diehard Republican too. It's funny the Knoxville joke is that. Here's the guy that made a career wearing a mask, and he was very anti-mask during the pandemic. Wow. Hmm. Well, primaries are the important elections locally because you get three or four candidates running for an office, you know, for Republican or Democrat. It's you pick that right candidate during the primary, and so many people do not get out and vote during a primary, and that's when they should be voting. That's where you have the most say. Once I saw the statistic on how many adults woke up and wrote in some stupid Harambe or some voted for Kanye West, like, yeah, 
it's it, there it's yeah the people need to do better <laughs> you can't blame it all on the politicians we need to do better as a as a society this this primary election in in my county here probably 30% of the eligible voters will actually vote that's really that's bad. yep well, any more questions, gentlemen? No, I think we're great. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people donate to your campaign or find you online or anything like that? If anybody wants to send you money. Yeah, well, can't send me money now because I have not officially announced for any office. When I do announce, I'll put up a website and everything, but that's going to be a year from now. However, people can go to my Facebook page and just simply put my name, Ed Danko, into your Facebook search engine. You'll stumble upon me, and you can follow me on Facebook, and you can keep up with my life there. And once again, I, when I decide to run, I will then be putting out a website and lots of information. People can also email me, and the email address is my name, first name Ed, last name Danko, at outlook.com. So that's E-D-D-A-N-K-O at outlook.com. And I'll be happy to put you on my email blast list. And occasionally I send out emails telling people that follow me what I'm up to and what I'm planning next and, and what the future holds. Oh, and quick follow up on that. Do you have an Instagram that you could also plug as well? Or uh, just my name, Ed Danko, on Instagram. Okay, and I am also the vice president of our Flagler County Trump Club. And the uh, website is Flagler for trump.com and that's the number four flagler for trump.com you can see my podcast on there that we do twice a month that's a video podcast we get a lot of interesting guests when i started the podcast about a year ago my first guest was my friend lieutenant colonel oliver north he was our very first guest um and uh, so we, we do get some interesting guests from time to time. Oliver North from the Iran Contra Reagan era. That Oliver? Yeah. Yep, that Oliver North. He also endorsed me when I ran for office. One of the advantages I had was Oliver North did a video endorsing me uh, for that office. Uh, so I was a I was thankful for that. Ollie's a great guy. Uh, I also had Corey Longdowski, uh, Trump's former campaign manager, do a video and endorse me too. So um I'm I'm the real conservative deal. You don't get endorsements like that if you're not. Yeah. Well, God bless you. And again, thank you for your time. I wish you the best in the future with your future campaigns and with what you deal with now in Palm Coast. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. And, and I wish you both the best, too. Um, if you can email me a link to your podcast when you've got it up, I'd love to see it. Listen to it. Of course. Uh, yeah, this will be on Spotify, iTunes, and most of all the other websites people can listen to podcasts. Um, I will send you the link. And yeah, seriously, you've had a very interesting life. I, uh, uh, I totally, totally glad you didn't just stay in retirement. Yeah, you get bored. Let me tell you, when you get older, you think you, all you want to do is retire and relax. That's good for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then you've got to find something to do. Yeah, or go crazy. At least. <laughs> All right, guys. You guys have a great day. You too. Take care. Thank you.